Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining with us here as we really kick off a brand new series and a series that is a little bit different for us. Normally what we do here at Bethany is we kind of take a look at a biblical passage and then we bring that in line with our lived experience. Today, actually, we want to actually flip this a little bit. We want to take our lived experience and then bring the Bible into that to talk about it. Because what we want to do uh, over the next three weeks is to really open up a conversation around mental health. And I want to share with you today what we're going to be looking at. To begin with, I want to share with you a little bit about this series and where we are going. Then secondly, I want to share with you what about uh, mental health we're going to be talking about and what mental health is. And then thirdly, what I want to focus on at the end of the sermon here is uh, I want to take a look at five really myths about mental health that are really prevalent in the church. And I want to dismiss those kind of biblically and take a look at the Bible's perspective. And so to begin with, I want to share a little bit just on what this series is all about. And here's what the series is really kind of all about. It's about opening up a conversation and a dialogue here at our church about mental health. Because I just think, I just think we need to talk about mental health. I think it's a reality in our lives. It's a reality in our world. And I think that it's actually been getting um, much more difficult with COVID and all that's going on. I think it's appropriate for us to talk about mental health. And here's really the real reason why. Because we here at Bethany, here's what we believe. We believe that we are called to be a caring community to a hurting world. This is what we believe, that we're called to be a caring community to a hurting world. That the way we are going to change the world starting here in Niagara is actually through our care, through our grace, through our vulnerability, through discipleship. That we believe in being a caring community to a hurting world. And if we're going to be a caring community to a hurting world, that means talking about mental health. So as I said today, I want to share a little bit from a theological perspective and give kind of a framework for this series. Then next week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be hearing actually from a clinical psychologist, a Christian, who's going to share some practical steps that we can take both to journey with those who have struggles with mental health and how to support our own mental wellness. And then the third week, what we're going to be doing is actually having a Celebrate Recovery style service, which is a wonderful ministry here that provides so much hope and health and healing to people. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at over this series. We want to take a look at mental health and discussing it as a church, because I really do think that it matters for our lives. I think it especially matters in the world that we are in. As many of you know, we actually planned out our series fairly far in advance. So we were actually planning out the series in October of like last year. And I think it's incredibly appropriate for the space that we are in today to actually open up this dialogue and conversation on mental health, mental wellness, and how we might find Jesus in the midst of whatever it is that we are facing. And so with that kind of understanding of the series, I want to state one more thing and then kind of dive into actually opening up our topic today. That while this should be obvious, I think it matters to be stated, that all of my comments today on mental health and on mental illness and mental wellness and all of that, that all of my comments are really coming from a pastoral perspective, not a mental health professional perspective. That even though this, you know, obviously surprises no one, even though I've read like, you know, a number of books on mental health, had training seminars, all of that, I think it's important to distinguish that my comments today are coming from a pastoral perspective, that I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist, and that those professions are really needed. And that today, today the comments are primarily coming from a biblical place and a pastoral place. I just think that's important to state up front. So with that kind of understanding of the series, that today we're kind of opening everything up and we'll take a look at some of the myths of mental health, specifically from a biblical perspective. Next week, we're going to take a look at the practical kind of ways that we can journey together. And then the third week, we're going to share about some of the supports we have here in and through Celebrate Recovery. I want to begin by just talking about what is mental health? What is mental illness? And explaining some of that. Because I know for many of you, for many of you, you're very well-versed in this conversation. For others of you, you might not be as well-versed. 
So I want to begin by just kind of giving some definitions and some explanations. And again, since I'm a pastor, and this is coming from a pastoral perspective, I'm relying on those in the psychiatric kind of profession or the mental health profession for all of this. So what is mental health? Well, here's the definition according to the Canadian Mental Health Association. Mental health is a concept similar to physical health. It refers to a state of well-being. Mental health includes our emotions, our feelings of connection to others, our thoughts and feelings, and being able to manage life's highs and lows. We also have our mental health to look after. It's not just about surviving, it's about thriving. It's about enjoying life and having a sense of purpose, and as I said, being able to manage life's highs and lows. And again, that comes uh, from the Canadian Mental Health Association. And there what they're talking about is really obvious, that mental health is something that we all have, just like we all have physical health. It's an aspect of our lives. And um, the Canadian Association of Mental Health goes on to share six things that really help you to have a strong mental health. They talk about uh, needing six factors, a sense of purpose, strong relationships, feeling connected to others, having a good sense of self, coping with stress, and enjoying life. As Phil Kather shared with me, somebody who many of you would know, who is our director here of support and recovery for many, many years, he shared this with me that, you know, good mental health, when we have that, we can still do our best even when we don't feel our best. So that's kind of what mental health is. And then now I want to share with you what mental illness is or what uh, sometimes is described as severe mental health challenges. I want to share with you again from the Canadian Association of Mental Health how they define that that mental illnesses are described as disturbances in thoughts, feelings, and perceptions that are severe enough, severe enough to affect day-to-day -day functioning. Some examples are anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, and mood disorders, such as major depressive disorder and bipolar disorder. I think this is important to state up front, that whenever we are talking about mental illness or uh, mental health challenges, that these are things that are imposed on people. Right? That people aren't wanting this, that this is actually things that are causing uh, disturbances in day-to-day -day life. And in terms of the prevalency, in terms of how um, frequently this affects people in Canada, here are some of the statistics on it. Okay? That for major health um, uh, challenges or for mental illnesses, that in any given year, one in five people in Canada will personally experience a mental health problem. And that by the age of 40, this is the statistics, 50% of the population will have had or have a mental illness. And also, from all that I've been reading, I've only been seeing things that COVID is exacerbating some of the difficulties and challenges of people's mental health and wellness. And so because it's so prevalent, and because it's a part of our lives, I think that it really matters for us to actually talk about at church. I think it matters for us to have a conversation about, so that we might, again, be that caring community to a hurting world. So we might care for one another, so that we might care for ourselves, so we might find God in the midst of whatever we are going through. And so with some of that kind of framework, um, before we move into kind of sharing some of, the biblical, um, some of the biblical perspectives that would challenge some of the myths in mental health in the church, I want to share with you actually some personal lived experiences of what it's like to live with a mental health challenge. Because while it's important to have diagnosis, why it's important to have like descriptions and all of that, those diagnoses and descriptions by their very nature, they are reductionistic, they are limited um, in many ways. So I want to share with you and read to you some actual very first-hand accounts of what it's like to live with a major uh, mental health challenge. Because as John Swinton says, he says, there's a tension between the standard way that many of us in culture assume these severe mental health issues to be and the way that people describe their experiences. That if we're going to care for people, we need to really understand what it's like to actually have um, some of these major mental health challenges that people in our community, in our family, in our friendships, or that you may struggle with. 
So I want to read some very first-hand accounts with this, okay? And they're taken from John Swinton's work on mental health, which I thoroughly would recommend to anyone, or William Stratton, or also Catherine Green McCreet's work called Darkness is My Only Companion, which sounds like a really heavy title for a book, Darkness is My Only Companion, but that's actually a line from Psalm 88. So I want to read some first-hand accounts um, from people about what it's like to walk and to live with mental health challenges so that we can understand not just the diagnosis or some of the descriptions, but really first-hand lived experience. So Liz writes this. She says, depression is a very emotive subject for me, especially among people who have never had to live with it. She says, it is that hidden disability that no one really fully understands, least of all those who suffer with it. The symptoms include feeling overwhelmingly tired, angry, emotional, and with the need to withdraw from the world around you. Seeking treatment can also make you feel even more depressed as you feel that you are even more of a failure and not being able to get it through, to get through it on your own. Or William Strayton in Darkness Visible, he writes this. He says, the pain is unrelenting. And what makes the condition intolerable is the foreknowledge that no remedy will come, not in a day, an hour, a month, or a minute. He says, if there is mild relief, no one, uh, one knows that it is only temporary, more pain will follow. He says it is the hopelessness even more than the pain that crushes the soul. So the decision-making of daily life involves not as in normal affairs, shifting from one annoying situation to another less annoying, or from one discomfort uh, to relative comfort, or from boredom to activity, but moving from pain to pain. That's how he describes his experience. Miriam writes this. Uh, She says, as someone with a mental health illness, you get the feeling that somehow you're more difficult to deal with within the institution of the church. She says, in a naive way, I believe that the church would be open to all. However, my experience makes me feel like I'm on the outside of the institution and an embarrassment. She continues to write saying, when I am low, I just feel like I'm in a big void. I've heard people say that they can meet God in their darkest places, but I feel like I'm completely on my own. I don't necessarily stop believing in God, though sometimes that is the case. I just feel like he is behind a big black cloud. I do, however, believe that my faith has helped me to stay alive when I felt suicidal. When I'm totally depressed, I'm unable to read, but I I start to feel better. I find huge comfort in reading the Bible, particularly the Psalms. I also read Job and take great strength uh, from the way that he dealt with his horrific experiences. I also read the Passion, which reminds me of how Christ, more than anyone, understands my sufferings. For me, the only positive things about depression are that when I come out the other end, it makes me appreciate good times more, and that gives me more empathy when others are having a hard time. These are just some personal experiences of some people of what it is like to live with some mental health challenges. And after I've read that, I hope your very first response, I hope your very first response was care and compassion. I hope your very first response was, we do need to talk about this. If this is what people are carrying, if these are some of the burdens that they have, that this matters for us to address as a church. And so next week specifically, next week we're gonna take a look at what can we do practically for our own personal mental wellness, but then also the journey together with others. Today, I wanna continue really setting up this entire series by sharing with you some of the myths that I think are prevalent in the church and some of the ways that the Bible actually challenges those myths, specifically around mental health and mental illness. And I wanna be clear before we kind of dive into this actual aspect of the Bible, that uh, in the Bible, the Bible does not talk about mental health. This is because this is a modern day concept. So it's actually anachronistic to actually read this back into the Bible. But what we can do with the Bible and with scripture is to take biblical principles and to bring those into our modern day experiences. So that's what I wanna do. 
And I want to share with you five myths about mental health, uh, specifically in the church, that I think do need to be challenged from a biblical perspective. And the first one that I want to challenge and kind of open up, the first one I want to challenge is this, that there is a myth, I think specifically within the church, that mental illness is caused by people's personal sins. And I want to challenge that here today. So to begin with, I just want to share something that I think is quite obvious and I think is also true, and I think it also, you know, really speaks to a lot that's going on in our world today, is that in general, okay, in general, people like easy answers. I think that this is unquestionably true in our world, that people like easy answers. People don't like complexity. People don't like things that aren't straightforward. That in general, people will um, actually choose things that are naive rather than really complex. But the truth is, is that our world our world is actually very complex. There's a lot of diversity. There's a lot going on. Things are not quite as straightforward as we all always would like. And I think when our world gets complicated then, what we often do is we gravitate towards easy answers, even if they're untrue. And I think this specifically happens um, in relation to mental health, that for some people in the church and for some people you know, in uh, the Christian circles, there is this idea that mental health illness is caused by personal sins, or it's like a punishment from God. But I don't believe that this is helpful. I don't believe that this is true. I believe that this is wrong, actually. And I believe that this is wrong and needs to be stated that clearly, that mental health challenges are not caused by personal sins. The reason I believe this is wrong is because Jesus actually believes that it's wrong. That Jesus actually has a conversation in the book of John with the disciples. And what they actually encounter is a man who is born blind. And the disciples want to say that someone is at fault, that someone's personal sins must have caused this. They want to reduce this man's suffering to one reason, to one thing that's going on. I want to read to you the passage and then just give you a few comments on it, okay? It says this in John 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? Okay. This is the disciples. This is the disciples reaching for an easy answer, for one that they can actually control. Because if, if this man's suffering was caused by his sins or someone else's, then they can be sure it won't happen to them. That's what's going on here. They are reaching for easy answers. But listen to how Jesus actually counteracts and contradicts this. He says this, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus resists our tendency to reduce people's sufferings to just um, that they somehow have caused it by their own personal actions, right, when it comes to illnesses. He continues and he says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, he says, I'm the light of the world. And I just don't know how it couldn't can, can be clearer that the disciples reach for that easy answer, wanting this man to be responsible for all that is going on in terms of his health. And Jesus re resists that, and he says, no, it's not because of sin. Instead, what he essentially says is that our world is broken, and that he is the light of the world, and that he's come to fix it. And I think this is our perspective with things. And I think this is how we need to approach even the reality of mental health in our world, that we should not be uh, reducing people's experience, expecting that somehow it is some personal sin that they have done that causes them to struggle with depression, bipolar, whatever it may be. I think that this is really harmful, damaging, and wrong biblically. Sarah Lund, she writes this over how this happens within the church. Uh, she says, when mental illness is viewed strictly as a spiritual disease, God is often viewed as the one in charge of administering mental illness as a punishment. She continues saying, viewing mental illnesses only as a spiritual disease contributes to the shame and stigma of people who suffer from mental illness. She says, it is tragic that Christian communities, the very communities where sufferers seek compassion, acceptance, understanding, healing, and love, can then be the communities that inflict the most harm. 
So the first myth that I really wanted to challenge is this idea that mental illness is caused exclusively by personal sin. I don't believe that that's true, I don't believe that's biblical, and I believe that that is harmful. The second myth that I want to challenge isn't what causes mental illness, but the solution to it. That within the church, there is this prevalent idea that prayer is the only solution you may need to any mental health struggle you face. That prayer is the only solution that you may need to any mental health struggle you may face. I want to talk a little bit more about this. Now, obviously, you all know me well. I believe deeply in the importance of prayer. I believe deeply in the power of prayer. I believe in miracles. I have seen them. All of this matters so much to us here. We actually just preached on the importance of prayer just a few weeks ago. And I believe that all of us need to be praying. But when it comes to mental health challenges, there is a myth in the church that your mental health challenge can be cured and solved solely through prayer alone. And I think that this is a problem. This myth, this idea that your mental health challenge can be cured solely through prayer alone. I want to explain a little bit more about this. Because in a recent study, actually, of evangelical Christians, in a recent study of evangelical Christians, here's what it's found. 50% of evangelical Christians, so one out of every two people that you would ask, believe that severe and major mental illness could be cured through prayer and Bible study alone. Meaning that if you struggle with a mental health illness, what people thought was all you needed to do was to pray that you don't need community, you don't need therapy, you don't need medication, you don't need to take any personal responsibility. All you need, all you need is to just pray and that would be enough. And I think that this myth that is very prevalent in the church, 50% of people in the evangelical churches believe this, needs to be challenged for two reasons. One, that is reductionistic, and two, that it's unbiblical. So first I wanna share about how this idea that the myth that mental health challenges can be, called, can be cured solely through prayer alone, it's first this reductionistic. Because what we know in our lives, and what you know in your life, and likely I know in my life, is that God works in our lives in many ways, right? That God works in our lives in many different ways. He works through prayer. He works through the prayers of others. He works through community. He works also through like mental health professionals or health professionals in general. He works through other people. That what we know about living in our world is that God actually works in, uh, in our world and in our lives in many different varied and diverse ways. The problem with when we would say that mental health illness can be cured through prayer alone is we are actually reducing the ways and limiting the ways that God works in our lives. That's the problem, is that we're actually reducing the ways that God works in our lives. That yes, unquestionably, prayer matters if you have a mental health challenge. We should be praying. But you know what else we should be doing? Leaning on others, you know, going uh, to professionals for support, you know, engaging in community, all these other spaces and places that God actually works. So the first reason I want to say that it is a myth that mental health um, illnesses can be changed solely through prayer is because it reduces the ways that God works. Because he's worked in my life through other people, through other professionals, and all of that. It's a reductionistic way of thinking. The second reason that I want to share with you that this idea that all you need to do is to pray more if you have a struggle in mental health, that one of the reasons I also think that this is profoundly mythic and wrong is because it's actually unbiblical. It's unbiblical, actually. Then when the Bible talks about people in challenge, do you know what the Bible speaks of? The Bible speaks unquestionably clear that when we are in challenge, we should absolutely pray. 100% we should do that. We should be doing that every day. We need to be praying more. But do you know what else the Bible speaks of when you're in difficulty and in challenge? It isn't just to pray. It also talks about sharing your burdens with others. It also talks about creatively, uh, creatively loving those around you. It also talks about gathering together. That the Bible actually speaks of many different responses to difficulty and challenge. And there's a problem when we reduce and limit what the Bible says. The Bible also teaches us, did you know this? For us to actually use medical advice. Did you know that? 
that Paul actually gives medical advice from his day and age to Timothy. This is actually a part of the Bible. Paul says this to Timothy, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. And here when Paul says that, he's actually giving like ancient day medical advice. That in Paul's day and age, actually, water was tremendously unsafe. Remember, they didn't know about parasites and all of that. So actually, it was often much safer to drink water with wine, which is how they would drink it. They would actually drink water that was really diluted with wine. So Paul says to Timothy, he gives him medical advice from his day and age and encourages him to follow that. So when it comes... When it comes to major mental health illnesses or challenges, here's what I believe. I believe that we need to pray. I believe that we need to use our medical advice. I believe we need to lean on community and do all of those things. But to reduce what uh, the options are, I think is profoundly not only unbiblical, it's unhelpful. So I think one of the myths that is very prevalent in the Western evangelical church, 50% of people, is that prayer alone is a cure to mental health. And I just believe that that's limiting of the ways that God works and it actually isn't true and faithful to what the Bible speaks of, of when we come into difficulty. We need to pray for sure, but lean on others, support others, and even take medical advice really matters. So that's the second myth. The third myth, and I want to take a look to that today, the third myth is this, is that mental illness isn't welcome in the church. This is the third myth that I want to challenge today, that mental illness isn't welcome in the church. And what I mean by that is that I am sure, absolutely, and it breaks my heart, but I do believe this has happened, is that people can actually experience stigma and shame and hurt from the church. But what I also know is that there is no way in shape, any shape or form that Jesus wants those with mental illness to be excluded from his body, to be excluded from the church, to be excluded from community. I do know that it can happen. As Miriam um, shared in her testimony, remember I read, she said, as someone with mental health illness, you get the feeling that somehow you are more difficult to deal with within the institution of the church. In a naive way, I believe that the church would be open to all. However, my experience makes me feel like I'm on the outside of the institution and an embarrassment. As I said, it breaks my heart because I believe that that has happened. I hear stories of that, of how that's happened. But what I want to be really, really clear with is just this, that the church as the body of Christ, it is welcome to all. It is actually a space of belonging for all. It is a space that if you're broken and hurting or whatever, that you are welcome and accepted, that the church is a space where people are brought in to experience hope and healing and transformation. You don't need to get your stuff together before you enter in, that it's actually being a part of community and part of support where lives are changed. So I want to be unquestionably clear that we here at Bethany believe in accepting everyone wherever they are at. We believe in welcoming people wherever they are at. We believe that if you have struggles, hurts, and hangups, and all of that, that you are welcome in the church and in community, and it's in that space. It's in that space where healing, hope, transformation, Jesus, all of that can be found. That what I believe is there is a myth that mental health isn't welcome in the church. And I want to challenge that because the church needs to welcome all people with whatever they are carrying. And did you know? And did you know that this aspect of caring for people wherever they might be at, of accepting people wherever they might be at, that this has been a part of the DNA here at this church since its very beginning. That since the beginning of Bethany, way back when, when it was started in the early 1900s, by two ministering sisters. Do you want to know the stories I've read? I've read stories after stories of how they would have service on Sunday nights. And people uh, struggling with addiction and drinking, they would actually come into the church and they would find healing and hope that they were welcomed as they were so that they might find transformation. The same value of accepting others and where they're at with their brokenness, with their burdens, wherever they might be a part of, has been also a huge part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, where you can come with your hurts, habits, and hang-ups and find hope and find healing. This idea that we want to accept people where they're at is a part of our DNA and our value of vulnerability. 
This is why we place such a high, high importance on the value of vulnerability in our home churches, in our kids, in youth programming, or in all the different various ministries we have here, whether it's like Grief Share or Stephen's ministry, which is one-on-one -on -one care, that what we believe is that as we open up our lives, that's when Jesus really moves. That when we are vulnerable with one another, sharing what we are carrying, sharing our burdens and our hurts, that that's when we can find support, grace, meaning, hope, and all of that. So what I wanna share with you really clearly, as much as I can, is that I believe that the church is called to be a space that is welcome for everyone. And this is because Jesus actually says this. Jesus is really clear, actually, where he says this. Um, he says later on, this is the story. Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' as disciples. Listen to why they complain and what Jesus' response is. He says this, why do you eat and drink with such scum? With people who can't keep it together, with people who don't follow the rules of God, with people who are just, you know, on the outside. That's what they're asking. And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to uh, call, not those who think they are righteous, but to those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. So the church, the church is called to be a space and a place where all people are welcome. And that's why if you're struggling, we want to say you're welcome here because this is what we are called to do. Come together. That's what Jesus' heart is and that's what our heart is as well. And the fourth myth I want to share with you today. The fourth myth is really just this. Um, and it, this one speaks more to those who might be struggling with mental illness um, or with lots of other things. The myth is this, is that we are our struggles. This is the myth that I want to challenge, that we are our struggles. That so often our struggles can become defining of us, that they can become kind of directing of us, that we are our struggles. And this is especially prevalent when it comes to mental illness and mental diagnosis. That for some people who struggle with schizophrenia, all of a sudden they become schizophrenic, right? It becomes defining of the totality of their being. But this is a myth and this is a problem and this needs to actually be challenged. I want to read to you some words from John Swinton, who again is quite um, uh, very, very incredible. He says this, mental health diagnoses, as important as they are, and they are, listen to what he says. He says, they're sticky labels. Once you have them, it can define the whole of who you are. But if you have schizophrenia, you become it. So the label becomes a part of who you are. And this is a real challenge, especially as Christians, because the primary identity of us aren't our diagnosis. The primary identity of us as Christians is Christ, that we are his, that we are made in his image, that we are people who follow him. John Swinton continues, he says, but if you have schizophrenia, you become it so that the label becomes a part of who you are. Then you create a form of stigma, and that's really dangerous. Because if you don't see the person as a person, it doesn't really matter uh, to you what happens to him or her. He says this, the way in which you talk about someone has profound social, political, and spiritual effects or side effects in that sense. And he says the beginning point for good mental health care, and I believe this unquestionably true, the beginning point of good mental health care is to speak properly and honestly about people as people. That needs to be a perspective. About talking about people as people. And the job of church communities is to be with people. And if we do think about diagnosis, it's only to help us to know and understand this unique individual even more than we already do. John Swinton here, he is not telling us to just remove our diagnosis or anything like that for anyone with a mental health challenge or illness. What he's saying is, is that we shouldn't allow that to become the primary defining factor of who we are. That we shouldn't allow that to define everything about us. And as Christians, I think we should understand this, that we should in no way downplay or dismiss the struggles that we have, but we also shouldn't forget is who we are actually in Christ. That what the Bible teaches us first and foremost is that we are God's children. 
Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. We should allow this to shape our identity. We are the children of God if you know Christ. And Paul also says that we are holy, pure, and loved. He says this in Colossians 1. And now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. This is who you are. Listen to what he says. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And then thirdly, that God loves you. Remember in Colossians 3, this should define you. God says this. God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. And I think the myth the myth that we need to challenge is that we are our diagnosis or that we are the struggles that we face, but we're actually so much deeper and more complex than that. And truthfully, if we're Christians, it's actually better than that. We are God's people. We are the people he loves. We are holy, pure, and blameless. And this should define who we are. And then the last myth that I want to challenge here today from a biblical perspective is just this. The last myth is that the church can't make an impact in mental health. And this is a myth that I want to challenge, that the church can't make an impact in mental health. That sometimes... Sometimes we think that mental health work is just for the professionals. And I want to be really clear with this. Professionals absolutely matter. Therapists, counselors, psychiatrists, and psychologists, all of this really matters. And they provide tremendous like, ability for us to grow and tremendous help. This matters immensely. But what I also know is that the church matters immensely in, in areas of mental health and mental illness. And the reason that I know that is because every psychiatrist or mental health professional I've talked with have also shared about the importance of not only getting you know, professional help, but also having a community that supports you. This is what the church is called to do. We are called to be actually a space where people are journeyed with, where uh, burdens can be shared, where there is practical supports as we continue to journey together. The church really matters because what church is, is about people coming together to follow Jesus together, to love one another, and this matters, especially in the area of mental health. That what we need, that what we need is journeying together, right? And that this makes a tremendous impact. John Swinton again, he says this. Uh, he says, the church has a history of pioneering in health and social care. And I believe it's time for us to step up in the challenge of working in the area of mental health. And I absolutely agree with us. So what's my main point today? Today, what I wanted to do was to kind of begin this series and to give you kind of an introduction and a framework to talk a little bit about what is mental health and mental illness, and then also to share with you some of the lived experience from those who actually uh, live with those realities. And then today I did want to share with you some myths, five myths that are a part of the church that I think need to be challenged from a biblical perspective. And next week we're going to talk about really practically how do we journey together. We're going to hear from a clinical uh, psychiatrist about the right steps for us to be taking as a community. But for today, my main point is just this. For today, my main point is just this, that mental health and challenges are real, and I think that we need to talk about it. That's my main point, that mental health and mental challenges are real, and I think that we need to talk about it. I think we need to open up a dialogue with one another. I think we need to have spaces where we share what we, each of us are going through. I think we need to share one another's burdens, and that while I know, I know at times the church has caused deep stigma and shame to those with mental illness or mental health challenges, I think that needs to be changed so that people can be welcomed in, so that we might journey together. I think that this is my main point for today, that mental health uh, and mental challenges are real and we need to talk about it. So if that's my main point then, what's my challenge? Because there's always a challenge. Well, today I have two, um, two kind of challenges. First, my first challenge um, for many of us is to learn about mental health this week 
and then to show up next week. That's my challenge, to learn about mental health this week and then to show up next week to actually learn and put effort in to understand what mental health is and what it really looks like for somebody who is going through it at a deeper place. I want to invite you, you know, to Google it. You can read John Swinton's work, who I obviously am a real big fan of. You can also ask somebody that you might be deep friends with about what is it like if they have a mental health challenge? What is it like for you? And to just listen. I think it's important that we take the step to actually to learn and to listen deeper. Because here's what I believe. I believe that the deeper of our understanding, the deeper our care. I want to say that again, that the deeper of our understanding, the deeper of our care. And when I mean the deeper of our understanding, I do not mean that all of us need to have PhDs in mental health. What I mean by that is we need to understand what it's like for people who are walking through it, who are journeying through it, who are carrying some deep burdens with it. I want to invite you to really listen and to learn and then to show up next week as we're going to talk more practically about what can we personally do for our own mental wellness and what can we do to journey with those around us. And then for some of you though, for some of you though, especially if you are someone who is struggling with a real mental health challenge, that idea of going and learning about it might seem a bit false for you. Because you might say to yourself, I don't need to learn about it. This is my lived everyday experience. So if you're in that space, what I want to invite you to do is something a bit different. I want to invite you to actually share a little bit of your experience with someone. With someone that you trust. With someone that is actually faithful to you. With someone that you can open up with. That might be your spouse, that might be your therapist, or it might even be just doing what I did a little bit here today, where I read people's firsthand accounts of what it's like to journey with mental health challenges. Maybe all you're gonna do is write that out and just share that with Jesus. I wanna invite you, if you're struggling, to actually share a bit of your story with someone, whether that's you know, a deep friend, whether that's a spouse, a therapist, or even just Jesus himself. I wanna invite you to share a little bit of your journey with someone. And then next week, as I said, we're going to journey together a little bit more, hearing about the practical things that we can do as a community. But for today, today my challenge is really just this. It's to learn about mental health or to share your mental health journey with someone that you, that you trust. It's to learn about mental health or to share your mental health journey with someone that you trust. And then next week, we're going to pick up this conversation. But I believe it really matters for us to have in the church. Because as I said, we want to be a caring community to a hurting world, which means talking about the realities that our church, that people in our church and that our community are going through, and this is one of those. So we want to open up this conversation so that we might learn together, so that we might grow together, so that we might find God together. That's a real hope. And so with all of that, would you join with me in prayer here this morning? God, I ask. I ask wherever we might be. I ask God, would you fill us with your hope? I ask God, would you fill us with our care and compassion for those around us? I ask God, would you fill us with our strength if we are struggling? I pray, God, as we enter into these conversations, might we find, Lord, you truly being with us and guiding us as we talk together. I pray, God, for those who are really struggling. I pray, Lord, would today there be a moment where there is just hope that is given to them, where your presence sustains them, where your strength is with them and your spirit surrounds them. I pray, God, for all of us. Might we continue to learn and to grow so that we might care for one another deeper, so that we might follow through on what you ask of us, God, to love one another. And so as we continue on in this journey, Lord, I pray you would guide us, would you lead us, and would you be with us. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.